why we're doing it is not just to be entertained, but there's a very unique aspect and perspective that, uh, that writers of The Chosen put together as they uh, put together this, this video. And a lot of it is, is not written in Bible. Uh, John says that if everything that Jesus did were recorded, it would fill up all the Bibles or all the books of the world. And so there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't say happened, but it could have happened in these ways. And the thing that I really appreciate about these episodes is it gives you an understanding or kind of a, a idea of how Jesus impacted people. And the only way you can see how Jesus impacted people is to create a backstory for some of these people that had these miracles that uh, they experienced at the hands of Jesus. And so I really appreciate that. And one of the things that uh, I'm hoping for my life and hoping for our church, the scripture says that we will be like him when we see him for who he is. As we see different perspectives and different revelations of the character of Christ, it helps us become more and more like him. Amen? Better fathers, better husbands, better, uh, uh, better business people, better people in the marketplace. And I remember my dad saying that he grew up in a home where he didn't have a relationship with his dad. And when he, he, be, uh, he got married and he had kids, one of his major prayers was, God, how do I be a good father? Because he didn't have that modeled for him. But as he grew in his understanding of, of God, he became the perfect father. <laughs> A very good father. Um, and, uh, and so for all of us, as we see Jesus more and more clearly, we become like him. One of the things that works against us in a lot of ways is that we become what we focus on. And it's so easy to focus on the wrong thing. It's so easy to get distracted. We can di get distracted by politics. We can di get distracted by the junk that happens at work. We can get distracted in our own relationships, in our strugglings, in our marriages, in our families. And so all of these things can pull us off onto the wrong track. But when we come to church and we jump into things like The Chosen and jump into small groups and discuss what we saw and how it impacted us, it gives us a different perspective on who it is, the God that we serve. And it helps us mold, it helps God mold us into his image when we see that. Amen? We don't want to focus on all the, the distractions because that's where, the, that's where we get more into problems. Um, when one of the, I only got in one accident in my life. The only accident, you want to know how I got in the only accident I ever experienced in my life? And I'm not a really good driver. Anybody that drives with me knows that I'm like a pretty crazy driver. Um, but through God's grace, I only got in one accident. You know how that accident was? I was on Oahu, and I, there was this guy that was tailing me when I was going onto the H1, merging onto the H1, and I was looking at him in my rearview mirror, and he was like coming right up to my bumper. So, you know, me being the good Christian person that I am, I slammed on my brakes to kind of send a message like, hey, back off. So I slammed on my brakes, and then he came even closer. And so I was getting all mad, and then I pulled onto the H1, and this guy, he pulled right on the side of me, and he like just starts eyeing me down. So I was like, I'm not going to back off. So I, like, I'm driving, and I'm like staring at him and giving him the stink eye. <laughs> I'm not scared of you. you know, I'm giving him the stink eye. And as soon as I'm doing that, boom, I hit the person in front of me. And then the guy smiles, and he like takes off. It was the only time that I got in an accident when I had my eyes on the wrong thing. My eyes should have been straightforward on the road where I was going, right? And in our lives, when we're following Christ, 
we can look at politics, we can look at this person doing something wrong, we can look at this person that offended us, but the, the main thing that we can do to help our walk get better with Christ and go in the right direction is to look at Jesus Christ. Amen? And so one of the things in The Chosen is we want to learn more of who he is. And in episode three, it, one of the things that emotionally moved me was to see how Jesus was so passionate about the lost and how, how much energy he, he expended to heal those that were broken. And um, so let's, let's read um, The Chosen. This is the, 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 the title is Matthew 4.24. Uh, so let's read this scripture together at the count of three. One, two, three. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you have a passion, and your passion is for us, God, that you came to earth not to make a lot of money, not to, to show who you were as this big, huge God that owns everything. But God, you came as a servant. You came humbly as the Lamb of God. And you gave yourself for us and showed us how much you loved us, every single one. And Lord, we pray that as we jump into this series and uh, into this episode, God, that you would reveal your heart for the lost. You'd reveal your heart for us. And the invitation that you have to us to participate in what you're doing in the earth today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. There's two major points in this episode that, uh, that, we, that I pulled from this episode. Number one is Jesus invites us to work with him. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Jesus invites us to work with him. And the second thing is that Jesus invites us to rest with him. Can we say that together? Jesus invites us also to rest with him. He invites us to work with him, and he invites us to rest with him. One of the, the most moving parts of this episode was when uh, the disciples, they're all sitting around a campfire, and the whole dialogue was uh, them talking about money, them talking about fame. If you had this much money, what would you do for this much money? Would you cut your hand off? Would you run through the streets naked? They're asking all these different questions. And, and so they were talking about money. They were talking about fame, like how fame was beginning to follow them as they followed Jesus. They were talking about uh, their past sins and their past mistakes. And as they were discussing things around the campfire, I was thinking so much about how our lives are focused on these different issues in our own lives. And Jesus is not around the campfire. He's absent, and he's healing the sick. And he's, he's giving himself and all of his energy to those who are weak and those who are hurting. And as he's giving of himself, all of his disciples are not with him, but they're around this campfire discussing all of these different things. And the last thing that they discussed was politics. And they're talking about politics and why this person didn't serve God and why, why he went off and he, he sided with the Romans and became a tax collector. And so, so uh, Peter is getting all mad at Judas and talking, about, talking to Judas. Why did you leave Judaism? Why did you leave our people? And why did you serve the Romans? And everybody gets all upset and they stand up and they're ready to fight. And as they're ready to fight, Jesus, he walks into the scene and he's completely drained of energy and he's looking at his disciples fighting. You know, when this happens in my house, and I'm tired, and my kids are fighting, <laughs> the things that come out of my mouth are not nice. 
<laughs> and what Jesus did, he saw that, and he's like, good night. And then he just walked past them. And they all became quiet. And so uh, I, want, I want to watch that scene for those, uh, if you didn't watch that, that uh, episode. Can we show that clip? What about you? What do you mean? Has it been difficult for you all this time? The occupation, following Jewish law. My life has not been easy. Oh, oh it hasn't. What was more painful for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law. Why now all of a sudden? Why not all the other times you had the chance? Simon? No, no, John, I want to know. Mary had horrible trauma. She didn't choose all that happened to her. What's your excuse? What do you want me to say? I don't know what you want from me. An apology. What? Simon's not wrong. He could be more delicate about it, but you did choose to work for them. And you made my life even harder than it already was. And you haven't apologized. No, no, don't say it. I don't want you to apologize. It doesn't matter. What would hearing him say sorry do? I won't forgive it anyway. What keeps putting you in authority? Who are you to forgive or not to forgive? What, you're on his side? No, of course not, but you've had your problems too. What about apologizing for what you almost did to us with the Romans? I didn't go through with it. I was trying to save my family's life, and I love you, John, but that's not something you have to worry about when Zeb and Salome are looking out for you. But you put me in a desperate position where I did things I would never have done otherwise. And I've repented for them, and John and James, I am sorry, but I didn't go through with it. What is your excuse? I was a successful businessman, and yet I was always behind. He wasn't your tax collector. Quit defending him. I want an answer. Hey, you're Lou. Do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but to still commit to it? To protect our heritage even though it never stops being painful? Because the one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. That we're all suffering together. But if, if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight, just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you betrayed that, and you spit on it! I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. All right. You said what you needed to say. Sit down, Simon. You sit down first. When I saw that, I thought, that's so much like us. While Jesus has his heart and he's being undistracted and he's, his heart is for the lost and he's reaching those that are out, so many times my focus and my heart is not on the things of helping others, but it's bickering and complaining and pointing fingers. And, and I thought, if I were in that situation, 
what would I look like sitting around the fire? What would you look like sitting around that fire? What would be said of you? What is being said of you right now in heaven? This past week, I got a phone call from one of uh, a friend that I hadn't heard from for a really long time. Some of you might know him. His name is Willie Boughton, and uh, he used to play trumpet. How many of you remember Willie? He used to play trumpet uh, on, on stage here. And um, uh, he was a friend that uh, I met and invited him to play with us uh, on the stage. And he wasn't, he wasn't saved. He, he got saved, ended up um, listening to all the worship songs that we played, gave his life to the Lord, got married to his girlfriend, ended up being a missionary to South Korea, and then uh, ended up in, in Texas. And, uh, and then we lost touch. I didn't talk to him for maybe over five years. And I just get this call out of the blue from him. And he was like, John, I love you, man. And I was like, what? He goes, I love you, man. Like, you're one of the best friends that I've ever had. You led me to Christ. You made such a difference in my life. I just wanted to call you because time goes by so fast and we lose touch with the people that we love. And I just want to tell you, I love you, man. And I was like, oh, I wonder if this guy's on drugs. <laughs> I didn't know what, what was going on with him. And, and then he said, you know, so he started talking and he talked for two hours Two hours he was talking to me about what happened in his life in the past couple years, especially through COVID. And he said that he stopped walking with the Lord. He moved to Texas. He's 35 miles north of Austin. And he started seeing a lot of different things happen in politics. And he's very conservative. And so he joined this conservative group and wanted to just smash all the liberals that were coming over from California and, and ruining, his, uh, ruining his state. And he said he got so filled with all of this stress and tension that he just wanted to, like, you know, pull out all his Texan guns and, like, shoot all these people. And so he, he got all wrapped up in it, and then he said that he heard from God, it's time for you to go back to church, because he hadn't gone to church in such a long time. So, so he took his wife, Rhea, and his two girls, and he went back to church, and he said, I found a church that's just like Grace Bible. I found this church that focuses on God, and, and, uh, and he says, it feels like home. And he said that in December, his father got really ill, and his father was anti-anti-anti-Christian and would always make fun of him for going to church and all these different things. And so he said that he, he uh, flew into town, started helping his, his dad out, and as he's helping his dad out, he said that, that his dad was so bad, got so bad, that he would have to carry him from the couch to the bathroom whenever he had to use it. And, and one day he just got so fed up, he, he said, he looked at his dad, he's like, you know what, if you want to go to the bathroom and you want me to take you to the bathroom, you're going to listen to me. And you're going to listen to how God changed my life. And I'm going to tell you the gospel, I'm going to tell you why you should believe in God, and if you don't, you can make pee and doo-doo on the couch. And so he, he got super bold, and he shared the gospel with his dad, and his, his dad was just silent, you know, just listening to it. And, um, and he said after... Uh, so I, I, I gave him a book called Mere Christianity when he was here, and he read through it and gave his life to Christ and started following God. He kind of laid out that thesis for his dad. At the end, he said, Dad, I want to pray for you. Is it okay if I pray for you? His dad's like, yes, go ahead, pray for me. So he prays for him, and he said, you're going to meet God, or you're going to go to the other place. So let me pray for So he prayed for him, and he was really strong. And Willie's not that kind of person, and, uh, but he prayed for his dad, and he said that he left the house, and he... When he, he flew back home and the next day he got a 
a call from his sister, and his sister said, dad's doing really bad, and she's not a Christian, and she said, you got to come back. Uh, we're going to put him in hospice. He probably just has like another day or so. So he jumps on a plane, and as he jumps on a plane and he's, he's leaving to go see his dad, um, his dad passes away. And so when he lands, his sister tells him about the events of what led up to his death, and he said that when he was dying, he, he actually asked for a chaplain to come and visit him. And when the chaplain came, the sister, who is not a Christian, said that the chaplain said, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And so the chaplain left. And as, as he got closer and closer to death, he started calling on the name of the Lord. And, and the daughter said that every time that he called on the name of the Lord, that his face looked like it got younger and younger and younger. And then the last time that he called out on the name of the Lord, it said like there was this light on his face. And then there, there was peace, and then he passed away. And Willie... He's like doubting Thomas. He's like, I don't believe. I don't believe that, or I don't, I'm not sure that he made it to heaven. And it was just weighing on him. And he said that he got home and he's, or he, he went to the dad's house and he's putting all these things away, you know, like helping to clean the house and, and everything with the sister. And at night, he's lying down in bed and he's ready to go to sleep. And he said that as he's going to sleep, he felt the presence of his dad in the room. And he heard his dad's voice, and his dad said, in the gruspy voice that his dad talks in, he said, thank you, son, and then disappeared. And he said that he got up off the bed, and he was just crying. He was overcome with peace, overcome with love, and he's just crying, knowing that his dad was now with the Lord. And he said that right after that, another presence filled the room, and it wasn't the presence of his dad. It was the presence of God. And then he heard God say, you needed that. And as soon as he heard God say, you needed that, he walked into this wall, and he said it was like this wall of love that just enveloped him. And he said he never experienced the love of God like how he did at that time. And when he felt the love of God, he said that, the one song that kept coming back, he goes, it's the song that you guys, we all used to play years ago. That I am a friend of God. Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? And he said that he just felt this love come over him. And he's like, it's like I'm born again. Like I, I got saved all over again. And, and so, and, and as he's telling me that, he's like, yeah, I'm like so filled with love. Like I love Freya. I love my, I love you, man. I love you, man. There's nothing that matters more than the love of God. That's the only thing that matters. And like, while I'm listening to him, I'm like, wow, like, I want to encounter God's love like that. I want to experience God's love like that. And so I was asking him, I'm like, man, like, sounds like you really encountered God in a powerful way. And he's like, yeah, like, nothing I've ever experienced in life was like that. And I said, well, how do you, like, keep that fire? How do, you keep, how do you keep that experience with you? And he said, I've been talking to God about that. I've been talking to him about that because I don't want to forget what that feels like. And I was like, so what did God tell you? And he's like, God said, I just have to make room for him. And so 
he's like, man, I was just getting distracted by so many things. But I couldn't, I didn't focus, that I wasn't focused on God. I was focused on everything else except Jesus. And he said, now that Jesus met me, like everything's different. And he's like, nothing else matters. And all I want to do is serve God. And I'm like, man, pray for me. <laughs> and, he, and he prayed for me over the phone. And it's just a super good time to connect. And one of the things that I thought about what, after I got off the phone with him was this scene. And how easy it is for us to get distracted by all this other stuff when Jesus is on a mission. And he invites us into his work. And this is what he says. So one of the things was that Jesus, he saw his disciples, and he knew his disciples were, were distracted and talking about their stuff. And instead of coming to them and hanging out with them, he was still on his mission. He didn't get distracted from his mission. He was still healing the sick. He was preaching good tidings to the poor, even if his disciples were not with him. He set an example, and he led, and he wanted them to follow him. He didn't follow them. Uh, this is what the job description or the mission of Jesus is. Uh, this comes from Isaiah 61.1, and it's also uh, noted in Luke when Jesus came out of the wilderness after being tempted in the wilderness. He goes to the synagogue, and he speaks these words. Let's read these words together. This is the, the mission and the vision of Christ. One, two, three. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's exactly what Willie did. He saw his father hurting and he went there not just to be with him and to pray with him, but to share good tidings to the poor, to, to the sick. And it was through that experience that God met him. And Jesus doesn't just give his job description. He just doesn't show what he's up to, but he invites us into that. Let's read this next scripture together at the count of three. One, two, three. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The picture that Jesus gives is this picture of a yoke. And when bulls and cows were used to plow fields, they had to put a yoke on, and then it would connect one cow to another cow, and they would work together to plow the field. And Jesus was saying, I'm on a mission. This is what I'm doing. And I want you to take this yoke on you. Stand next to me. Put this yoke on you. Be about the same vision of giving good tidings to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, reaching out to those that are hurting. Put that on you. And then it says, when you do that, you will learn of me. When we get about the Father's business and we stop getting distracted with the things around us, we learn of him. We become more on fire in our own lives. There's a rest that comes over our soul when we are connected to the vision of Jesus. Jesus didn't stop ministering when his disciples were distracted. Instead, he invited them to cooperate with him. 
And when we concern ourselves with the things that concern him, we learn of him. Amen? Amen? It's, it's something that every single one of us have a privilege of doing, to learning, learning more of who Jesus is. Number two, not only does Jesus call us to work with him and to put on a yoke and to, when we do the things that he's called us to do, we learn more about him and get connected to him more, but he invites us to rest with him. That one picture where Jesus is coming from a hard day's work, how many of you ever feel like that? that you worked really hard and you want to rest. The whole purpose of why God works is to rest with us. The whole purpose of why he works is because he wants a relationship with us. In, in Genesis 1-1, it talks about Jesus taking six days to create the world. And on the sixth day, he created his prized possession. He created us. He created you and me. And then on the seventh day, did he make us work? What did he do after his six days of work in creating us? The seventh day was a day of rest. The whole reason why God worked was to rest with us. He just wanted to hang out with us. He just wanted to have a relationship and enjoy us. He wanted to enjoy you. He wanted you to enjoy him. And all of his work in creating the world and then creating man was to rest with us. And he never, but the story goes that man, instead of resting with God, decided to rebel and to try to do it his own way. And when we try to do it our own way and we try to make our own way, does that give God rest? That doesn't give God rest. Instead of giving God rest, it adds to his angst. And he is on a mission to work so that he can rest with us. Can we, um, can we watch the second video clip? So this is what happened after Jesus walked by his disciples. This is Mary, Jesus' mother.
Isn't that powerful? When I saw that, I thought, I want to be like her. While all the disciples are fighting and they're quarreling and their focus is not on Jesus, their focus is on distractions of life, their focus is on money, their focus is on fame, their focus is on who offended them in the past and who's offending them now. As they're quarreling and bickering, Jesus is on a mission. And there was one disciple, his mother, that provided rest for him. Her focus wasn't on all that stuff, but it was on him. She wanted to serve him. And when I saw that, I thought, does God need rest? Is, is that accurate? that we can give God rest. And I started going through scripture and saw that rest and the rest of God, the Sabbath, is a theme that goes from Genesis when he created for six days and rested on the seventh to be with his people. And then it ends up in the city of God where he is resting and he creates a place with no sickness, no disease, no pain, no sorrow. And in between, He's working to bring us back to this place of rest. And the one thing that keeps him from resting is rebellion and the sin of man. And one of the things that you look at is the bird or the, the dove represents the Holy Spirit. And when the world was filled with wickedness and Noah built an ark to save his family and the floods wiped out the wickedness of the earth. He released the dove, which represented the Holy Spirit, and the dove found nowhere to rest because of the rebellion of man. But when Jesus came to earth, and he was a perfect man, never sinned, after he got baptized and came out of the water, it said that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. God found a place to rest in himself. And so that, that got me thinking, can I be perfect? Can I be a place where God rests on? And you know what the answer is to that? No. Because none of us are perfect. None of us will ever get to that place where, where God can rest on us. So you know what God did? He provided Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. And the one place that he rested in the Old Testament was the temple the tabernacle of Moses. And he said, I will rest 
in the tabernacle, in the holiest place, the holy of holies, I will rest there. And let's read the scripture of the place that defines where God rests. Not this one. Can you go to the communion? Sorry, the communion scripture. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I give you in commandment to the children of Israel. There are three things of the testimony that were put in the ark. Do you guys remember what those three things were? Manna? Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments. And if you look at those three things, those three elements in the ark represent the rebellion of man because with those three things, in the history of Israel, that is when God had to send the plague to wipe out Israel. The manna, the bowl of manna, they wanted meat, the lust of the flesh. With the Ten Commandments, they wanted to worship that golden calf. It was the lust of the eyes. And then Aaron's rod, they wanted to rebel and take power from Moses, the pride of life. These three major things that all of us go through in our rebellion against God, those, those are the three things that the disciples were concerned about. It was about money, it was about power, it was about fame. Those were the things that they were discussing. And that's the reason why we walk away from God ourselves. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you know, you know how God meets us. It's through the mercy seat. That, those cherubims on the mercy seat of the ark were sprinkled with the blood of a lamb. And that mercy seat covered the ark. Those articles of rebellion that represented the rebellion of man were covered by the mercy seat. And that was the greatest place of the presence of God. That was the place where he rested. And he's called all of us to rest in that place as well. Let's look at that other scripture. In 1 John 2, 1 through 2, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. That word propitiation means mercy seat. Everyone say mercy seat. He himself is the propitiation for our sin. And not ours only, but also the whole world. Jesus worked, and he finished the work on the cross so that we all can rest in him. So this is what the scripture says in Hebrews. Can we go to that scripture? The last point, point number two. There remains, therefore, let's read it together. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest 
has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. God created a rest for his people, and every single one of us has to labor to enter into that rest. You know what that labor is? It's not focusing on all of the other stuff. It's not getting distracted by all the other stuff of life, but keeping our eyes focused on him. We're going to take communion this morning. It's one of the reasons why we take communion every week. It's so easy to get distracted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and then to get condemned about those things. But Jesus, the same way that God worked for six days, rested on the seventh to enjoy us. He provided a way for us to have fellowship with him by covering our sin through the blood that he shed on the cross. If you take the bread this morning, for I receive, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Would you take the bread this morning? God, we thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us that through your broken body, we can have healing. And I know there's people here that need healing from past hurts and offenses, from different feelings of guilt and condemnation that are over their lives. God, your body was broken that we could have healing, healing in our minds, our will, our emotions. And so God, we thank you for your body that was broken, stripes, that we're on your back, that provide healing for, for us. In Jesus' name, you can go ahead and take the bread. God, we thank you for the cup that represents your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. And God, you didn't command us to do penance or to make up for our sin but you told us to have faith in you and to receive the forgiveness of sin that you provided on the cross. So today, we receive grace, we receive your forgiveness that was provided through the blood that you shed on the cross. In Jesus' name, you can go ahead and take the cup this morning. And God, we also thank you, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity, the invitation to partner with you in your work. And the same way that you have forgiven us, that you called us to forgive one another. So help us, Lord, to forgive one another as you've forgiven us in Jesus' name. Can you all stand this morning? We're gonna close, close in a song. How many of you want to respond to the invitation of God to work with him and to rest with him this morning. Amen. Let's let's sing, let's respond by singing. I worship you. Almighty
there is none like you. And there is none like you. I worship you. Oh, praise.